Christians get very, very discouraged about their prayer time. And they do not feel like the Lord's answering their prayers. They don't feel like they have any power in their prayers. They don't feel like they're able to get anywhere with their prayers. And I, there's a reason for it. But I want us to ask honestly to ourselves this morning, do you really believe that God answers prayers? Then what's our problem? Does God not hear us at times? Does God not see what we're asking about? Does he not understand what we're in need of? I think this is one of the reasons that we're having our struggles as Christians, that we feel so wiped out at times. We feel so inadequate. We feel like um, just a, a pansy. You know, We don't feel like we're powerful at all. And yet all the way through the Bible, he tells us, be bold, be courageous, as he was telling us last Sunday. Well, Jesus assured us that God answers prayers. And I don't know of a better person to look at and to see how he operated here on this earth, and that's Jesus Christ, because he operated fully man. He was all God, but he's also all man. And we can understand that he had a relationship with the Father that carried him somewhere. And we have the same relationship because he goes to the Father and intercedes for us. And so he says, even greater things you'll be able to do because I go to the Father. So let's study his secrets this morning. Let's understand this thing was dropped in my spirit and I exploded. I've been teaching this thing all week. Everybody in staff knows my sermon. If they go to sleep, you understand why. Because they, I've been teaching. I said, this is it. This is what we have been missing all the way through life. When we look at the story of Lazarus, we know the dialogue immediately of how he talked to Mary and Martha, and Martha said, yes, if you had been here, Jesus wouldn't have died. If you, we know that you will raise him someday from the dead, and all this dialogue. But there's something important far beyond that in this story that I want us to see. I want us to turn to John 11, verse 41. I want us to look at the key to Jesus' success here in this one story. John 11, verse 41. John eleven forty one says, And so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst in me. We can tell by the scripture here that Jesus foreknew that he needed to wait three or four days before he came uh, to Mary and Martha. He also knew that Lazarus was dead. Jesus said, you remember, he says, nah, he's asleep, and disciples said, no problem if he's asleep. And Jesus came back and said, no, he's dead. But the point was he had already prayed. He already knew the will of God when he was here at this verse 41. And in fact, he, only said, he said, the only reason I'm here and praying right at the moment is for you to understand that God has already heard me. That God has sent me. Now this is a key. I want us to understand this. He already knew the will of the Father. And so I want you to notice here, when he prayed, he didn't ask God to raise Lazarus from the dead. What did he say here? He said, Father, I thank thee, thou hearest me. He goes on. He never mentioned Lazarus' name in this prayer. He never said, Father, we desire Lazarus to be living with us. We miss Lazarus. Lazarus is a wonderful person. He's my brother. He didn't say any of those kind of things. What did he say in verse 43? And he said these things. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He was already convinced in his prayer time several days before that it was God's will that Lazarus come back to life. Jesus therefore spoke boldly, knowing what God's word said to him about Lazarus and what God's word says to us. God's word says to us, all that we lay our hands to, we shall prosper. God says, I have given you health, I have given you life, I have given you life and life abundantly. So we have the same kind of communication through the Bible or through uh, God speaking to us directly. But what I'm telling you this morning is there is a time to pray and there is a time to command. 
when Jesus faced a problem, he was speaking, speaking directly to it. He wasn't asking God, Lazarus, oh, Father, we love that Lazarus. We appreciated him. He wasn't saying anything along that line. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, that's one story. Let's look at another one. Let's look at Luke 7, verse 12. We all know the story about the young man that was the son of the widow, the only son. And there's some interesting things in this story. Luke 7, verse 12. Now, as Jesus approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd was, from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. Underline that in your Bible. He felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, it's very interesting that we understand that he felt compassion for this mother. I imagine this young man was her only source of income. Back in those days, they didn't have any kind of security from the government or of any retirement funds or anything like that. If you either you worked to live back in those days. And so he felt compassion for this mother, and he did something here that is interesting. She didn't even know that Jesus had that kind of power, evidently, because he didn't, she didn't run over to Jesus and say, Jesus, please raise my son from the dead. Jesus had mercy on us. Jesus saw the need that that woman had, and he moved on that need without her even asking. Now, that alone tells us that God has a desire for us to prosper on this earth. It's a built-in desire. It's a uh, built-in gift to us. She didn't even recognize Jesus. She hadn't even prayed to Jesus. She hadn't done anything, evidently. So we always say it's God's will to heal. We always say it's God's will to, for us to have all of our kinfolks alive and well. That he came to give us life and life abundantly. It was through this one scripture. We can see that. Then why do we not get our prayers answered? What stops our prayers? What keeps us from having our prayers answered every day? Could it be that we're asking God, please do something when he's already told us, I have finished my work you do it. I think that's a point. I think that's a secret of what we're doing wrong. I have given you a power and authority over the enemy. So Mark 16, 19 says, For those that believe in my name, you shall cast out demons. In my name, you shall heal the sick. In my name, you shall raise the dead. Now, we all know that we can't do it. We all know that we can pray for the sick. And if it wasn't God moving on the scene, nothing would happen. But he said, I'm with you. I'm in you. This is a key. This is something we've been overlooking. It is my firm belief we are the ones to cast out the demons. And demons can be not everywhere, but I want to tell you something. There's one behind every third bush. There's a lot of them nowadays. These people that are getting fired and, and they come back with a machine gun and come into a place of business and open fire on them, that's demons, folks. You don't have to wonder about that. And oddly enough, we're seeing more of it. But God's work says, my work is finished. He's, the Father is setting, it, setting down. Six days labor, the third, seventh day he rested. Jesus said, I'm going back to the throne. So God is saying to each of us, my work is finished. Now, you do it. We're told to pray without ceasing. We're told to be in an attitude of prayer. We're told to understand the mind of God always. We're supposed to be in that frame of mind continuously. But when we come to face to face with a problem, we are required to speak to that problem. And we'll see it all the way through the Bible. When our eyes get open to this thing, this is going to change your life. It's changing my life. I'm seeing things that I had not seen before. To be successful in helping other people, first of all, we need to know what the, God's will is in this particular place, in this particular situation. Getting the revelation in our heart that God's word says that we have dominion and power over the enemy, no matter what. Secondly, 
we need to understand that we are to speak it out of our mouth what God's word says we are to do. It's a heart and mouth. It's a heart, prayer time, mouth speaking, praying and commanding, and we are missing it. We're praying, 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 but we're not commanding. As Christians, we have to see that it is a heart and mouth condition continuously that we need to operate in. But we're failing to do that. We didn't understand it. I have not heard it taught this way. But I want us to get a hold of it because someone said to uh, Dr. Cho uh, over here in Korea, he has, uh, some of you might not know about him, he has the world's largest church. There's almost a million people now coming to his church. He has 23,000 pastors, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's incredible. In Seoul, Korea, and that's not around the world. That's in Seoul, Korea, in, in Korea. They have a 100,000-seat auditorium, I think it is, and they fill it five times in one Sunday morning. They stand out and wait in the cold to get in there as the other people are heading out. They come in the front door and out the back so that people don't stay twice for one service. It's an incredible church. And someone said, Dr. Cho, we understand you have 31 multi-millionaires in your church. Aren't you afraid of all that power? He said, absolutely no. I grew them up. They became a multimillionaire in his church. Seoul, Korea is the most Christianized nation in the world. And we think, isn't that interesting? A country that was war-torn, totally demolished economically. Today, it's one of the busiest countries in the world. Why? Because I think God moved on that community. Because of one man's belief. And that was Dr. Cho. Point is, we need to know that God wants us to prosper. We have to know it above all things. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about every area of our life. He wants us to do well. He came to give us life and life abundantly. He didn't come to give us second class life or take away what we have. Let's look at Romans 10 verse 9. We figured this out when we got saved. Man, we just, you know, we got a hold of this concept. But then we dropped the ball. We got saved with this praying and, and then confessing, but we never carried any farther. Let's look at it. Romans 10, uh, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This is the principle right here, and we got saved over this very same, over this principle, but then we dropped the ball. We didn't know it was to use it any farther. We all recognize it's a heart and mouth situation. We believe in our heart that he's the son of God, and then we confess it with our mouth. Jesus is Lord. There is a time to fill our heart with prayer. There's a time to know the will of the Father. There's a time uh, to speak to God's will out of our mouth, though. With a heart, man believes whatever it is God's word has to say and about healing, deliverance, prosperity, whatever. There is, we have to know God's will, but then there, with our mouth, we confess what God's will is in operation. So today I want to apply this principle to our praying for other people. Because as Christians, and as Brian and Bonnie was talking about, they have more and more youth coming in, and they're needing the youth to be able to minister to the other youth. We need this system going right here in this church. We pray and spend time with the Father's presence until we know his will. We do that. We do that ahead of time. We do that every morning before we, when we wake up. And then what we take what we know in our heart and we use it and we speak it to the people. And I'm re repetitious, but I want us to understand this morning. We've got to get a hold of this thing. We've been praying, 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 but we have not been commanding the devil to be off of us. Too often we wait till we get face to face with the problem. And then we start praying, maybe. Or we've been praying, but then we just start praying some more. The problem is eating us alive. The problem can be in our family. It can be in our finances. It can be everywhere in our life. But we're still praying. We're not commanding whatever it is, the obstacle ahead of us, to be gone or to be released. It works both ways. For the most part, Christians have done a lot of praying. And that's good. That's wonderful. 
but they have not been commanding. They don't even know that they're supposed to be commanding. So today I'm in, emphasizing strongly the commanding part. Several years ago when Angela took a bunch of the youth to Guatemala, she took 14 youth from the church here. When it got down here, Don told us, the kids, to not to pray for the people when they ask him to pray for them. I thought that was very interesting. He said, don't pray for the people when they ask you to pray for them. He says, command ears be open, eyes be healed. Command poverty be gone. I thought that was very interesting. 14 years ago, God gave us this sermon, and I somehow kind of went past me. Most Christians rather pray than command. They'll, they feel more comfortable praying than they do commanding. We pray in our heart until we know the will of God. And then we command what we want to happen. What God has put on us. And when we do that, demons will flee and mountains will move. Very, very simple. It's the biggest stumbling block I think we've ever had as a church and as individuals. I want you to look at Luke 6, verse 12. We're going to see Jesus one more time here. Luke 6, 12 says, And it was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. He spent the whole night in prayer. He knew God's will, and in all day he ministered the word. You Remember? He's told us a lot of things, but I want you to turn over to verse 47 in the same chapter. I think same day. I want you to see what Jesus said. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts upon him, underline it, circle it, acts, acts on my word. I will show it to you to whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when the flood rose, folks, he's telling us there's always going to be a battle at some time. There's always going to be a flood. And it's going to come on the just and the unjust. Don't get paranoid. It, it comes on everyone. But he says, when the flood rose, the river burst against that house, but it could not shake it because it had been built well. Okay. Verse 49, but the one who had heard and had not acted, not acted, that's underline that, circle it, it's important. Corn is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation, and the river burst against it, problems came, and it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Okay, Luke 8, 21 tells us, someone asked him, who is my brothers and my sisters? And he says, my brother and my mother are those who hear my word and do it. Do we want a relationship with Jesus? Then we need to act. Pure and simple. It takes both praying and hearing God and then acting. We command with our mouth. But this works both ways. If we command without praying, there's a problem. I want us to look at Matthew 17, verse 15. You remember the story of the epileptic that was brought to Jesus, the little boy, and the father said, you know, I carried it to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything about it, Jesus. Let's look what Jesus said here. This is the father talking, or, uh, Matthew 17, verse 15. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and, is very, and he's very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? He knew how long his ministry was going to be. How long shall I put up with, your, with you? Bring him here to me. And he was aggravated, and he had a right to be. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of the him, and the boy was cured at once. Catch that. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately later and said, Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you had faith as a mustard seed, and we all know that scripture, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. And then they even left it out some of the manuscripts. But verse 21 is important. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In other words, you can command all day, but if you don't have your prayer and fasting going, it doesn't work. 
It's a both ways. It works both ways. But sadly, most of us have been praying. Most of us have been fasting, but we have not been commanding. We need to see this. We have to do our homework on our knees. And then we, when we face our problems, we have to command whatever it is attacking us or that we need to come forth. Uh, let's look at another story about the centurion. You remember a centurion was the one that told Jesus how his military system worked. If you look at Luke 7, verse 6, the centurion understood the system of authority. It was working in his life, and he understood how Jesus could make it work for his servant. Luke 7, verse 6. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not fit for you to come under my roof. For this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, underline it, say the word, and my servant will be healed. He didn't say pray and take, uh, he just said say the word. And notice it's not words, it's word, W-O-R-D, singular. For indeed I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, and to my slave do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude that followed him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. I want you to know something. There's three steps here that made this all work for the centurion. Number one, the centurion was very, very humble. When he saw Jesus, he said, don't even come under my roof. Don't even come into my house. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he's the awesome son of God. But he was a very humble man. Secondly, the centurion was concerned over a lowly ser servant. Back in those days, a servant like that could have been replaced very easily. If that old boy had died, they would just change servants. They could buy a man for a quarter, uh, probably in our day and age. People were cheap in those days. And, but this man, the centurion, was very concerned about his servant. Jesus was a caring person. And this servant, or this centurion knew that Jesus was a caring person. So he knew that he would heal his servant. He knew the will of the Father. He knew the will of Jesus. The centurion had mercy on his servant, and he recognized the mercy and compassion of Jesus. So his heart, the centurion's heart, was established in the will of God. He knew the God's will for his servant. Thirdly, the centurion told Jesus how things worked in the military. And I think this is most important. This is something we need to get a hold of as Christians. We are not understanding this. We're not putting it in operation if we do understand it. He understood the part the mouth plays. He understood authority. Look at verse 7 again. He said, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For indeed, I am a man under authority. Now catch this. He said, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. See, what he's saying, I tell people what to do, and they do it. But notice here, he's under someone else's authority. And in the same time, he had men under his authority. It worked both ways. Every one of us is going to have to be under authority. We're under authority of God, and we are submissive to one another. I have pastors that I go to and I say, hey, partner, level with me. You tell me if I'm off in my thinking. And if they tell me, if they should tell me that, man, I'd be quick to change because I, I'm under authority too. No man can handle being in a position of authority unless he himself can submit to authority. I said no man can be in a position of authority unless he can submit to authority. It's very important. We have to understand. This is one of the biggest problems we have in this country today. Every commercial, every newsreel, everything that you see today is rebellion, folks. Do your own thing. Don't submit to anybody. Be your own man. A man, you know, they take a car and they drive that thing wide open. And they spin around and slick, rain slick highways and stuff like that. And you're in control of the road. No, I'm not in control of the road. I have to respect the guy coming down the road and say, I don't have one of those pickups that have big wheels on it and go over the top of the guy. 
But it, it, see, this is what we're looking at today. We don't respect someone else. We don't have authority. We don't understand authority. And it's getting worse. But I want to tell you something Christians should be able to. We should be able to understand authority. We'll never be able to operate successfully as a Christian unless we understand authority that we have that God has given us and that we are under his authority. The centurion was submitted to someone higher than he was, and we are too. But look at verse 7 one more time. But just say the word, singular, the word, the word, not prayer. You just say the word, be healed. How did Jesus react to this man saying this? He said, man, I hadn't seen this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. This guy's got this thing worked out, and we're, this is it. This is it for us today. We need to understand what God's telling us, that we are to act. There's a time for prayer, and there's a time of commanding. And Jesus healed a young man. Okay, now look at Matthew 8. I'm going to get another story. Matthew 8, verse 14. Like I told you, there's a demon behind about every third tree. Now, who ever heard of a demon of fever? Is Jesus a lunatic or did this really happen? I think it really happened. And he didn't go in here and say, well, she had a penicitis attack and that's why he rebuked the penicitis. No, he, he said he rebuked the fever. Okay, look at Matthew 8, verse 14. And when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her, and the fever left her, and she arose and began to wait on him. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, singular again, and he healed all who were ill. What I'm telling you folks is there's a time to cast out a spirit of fever. There's a time to cast out a rebellious attitude. There's a time to cast out heaviness in her home. There's a time to cast out sickness in her home. There's a time to cast out divorce in her home. There's a time to cast out separation in her home. There's a time to do this, folks, and we're not doing it. He didn't say it left because he prayed. See, he said he cast out the spirits with a word. Okay, let's look at, uh, go back up to 8 verse 1. And when he had come down the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, and he bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me cleansed. And stretching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Isn't that interesting? Be cleansed. That's all he said, be cleansed. He didn't pray. There's nothing wrong with praying for somebody. But it's important that we command whatever we see happening to someone or to herself, commanded to be gone. Getting in agreement with God's word. And it's always, always been my view because I too love to pray. But it's more comfortable to pray than it is to command. Because, you know, you need to kind of give the person some thinking before you just hit them and say, be cleansed. But Jesus didn't. And I'm not talking about a loud voice. Only one time it said he cried out with a loud voice. There is a authoritative voice that you can say in a normal voice. Have you ever seen a school teacher? She said, I said, sit down. <laughs> Maybe you weren't Jack Ruth, but I, I heard that a lot of times. <laughs> she didn't get loud. No one else in that classroom heard. But she looked at me and she said, Jack Ruth, you sit down. Authority. We need to do the same thing. We've got to do the same thing. We're in a battle zone. Um, Brian said, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities, bars, and heavenly places. We're fighting a battle, folks, and we need to recognize it. If we don't, we're going to be whipped. Jesus spoke to the storm. You remember? He didn't say, oh, Lord, save us from the storm. Silas has been doing that. Lord, don't you care we all perish? Man, I've been there. Oh, Lord, if you don't do something, if you don't send some rain, Lord, it's going to be a real dry summer, Lord. Don't you care, Lord? In my name, 
you will cast out demons. In my name, you will heal the sick. In my name, you'll raise the dead. Jesus did those things while he walked on earth as a man. As a man. Think about it. That's his secret. And he said, I have given you the same authority. I have given you that. Jesus Christ lives in us. We ask him into our heart. He said, greater things you'll be able to do because I go to the Father. We think, wow. I want to tell you something. He didn't lie to us. Billy Graham in April spoke to two and a half billion people. That's a lot, a lot of people. Jesus only spoke to 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Two and a half billion people. Greater things you shall be able to do. Are we doing it? Even to the widow's son, he cried out with one voice. Arise. He didn't pray. She didn't know to ask. He had compassion. I command you to rise. There's a time for praying and a time for commanding the problem be gone. Now, I had this thing somewhat worked down on the problems. You live around with Paige Joyce and you're going to learn this end of it. I had depression on me one day and, and I've told it before, but for you visitors, it was quite alarming to me. I had depression on me and I come in all oh, so depressed, I just hurt, you know, and I said, honey, would you pray for me for depression? This is a number of years ago. We had the windows open, it was a hot summer day, and we had all the windows open, and our neighbors down there fishing, I'd seen them down there at morning fishing, and that tank of our neighbors is real close to the house, I can take a stone and almost hit the tank. They just yelled out top of her voice, and her voice carries for miles. <laughs> you foul spirits, you get out of here in the name of Jesus. I thought, <coughs> if my name is Spirit, that old boy knew that we had the biggest fight he ever heard in life because I was getting out of there. You talk about getting delivered. I got delivered so fast, that Spirit didn't come back for weeks. I don't know if it's my embarrassment or what. But I got delivered. You do the same thing for your mate. You do the same thing for your kids. Don't say, kid, you got the biggest spirit of rebellion on you. You know, you say, rebellion, get gone. Now, Johnny, help me fight this thing. Come on, Johnny, fight with me. He's going to be so rebellious that he doesn't want to fight. But you keep fighting. You don't point at Johnny and say, Johnny, you got a problem, boy. You say, Johnny, you help me fight. See? Join up with me, Johnny. The point is, it works getting rid of a spirit of heaviness. But I want to tell you something. The other night, we had a rain that came over, and we got three-tenths of an inch of rain. And we needed rain, folks. We needed it bad. And I had just been sparked inside me about this sermon. And so Paige Austin, I said, Honey, we need to command two inches of rain fall out of that sky. Jeanette, how much rain was in that rain gauge? You was out there. How much rain was in that rain gauge? Carl, you was out there. How much rain was in that rain gauge? Yeah, there you moved. Okay. <laughs> William's out there. We got two inches. I mean, we didn't get two and a quarter. We didn't get one and three quarters. We got exactly two inches, and it's still sitting out there if anybody wants to look at it. And it guarantee you, I didn't add any water to it or take any water out of it. <laughs> we used to have a guy at work. That is comical, and I'll die a rest a second. But this old boy. He had a rain gauge. He bought 10 acres of land, and he bought 10 head of cows to go into 10 acres. Well, it, it was so well eaten that if a leaf blew across the field, the ch cows chased it. <laughs> and he couldn't understand he needed to get rid of his cows. He just said, we need rain. And every morning he'd come into work. If they'd look, we got the little shower. Uh, we'd come in work, and we'd say, Mike, how much rain did we get today? Oh, he's saying, man, it, it didn't look like much, but we got three quarters of an inch of rain. I thought, three quarters? He must be living right or something. Come to find out, our supervisor was going down the fence line. He had walked about a quarter of a mile and poured water in his rain gauge. <laughs> we laughed. The supervisor would laugh, and he'd go, knock it to us. And so <laughs> that poor boy, he got half an inch rain, and we... He poured two inches of rain in there that day, and he said, oh, he says, my field's going to be wonderful this day. And he said, man, I got two inches of rain. Well, I didn't do that. I want to tell you, but we got exactly two inches of rain. Not more and not less. 
Folks, it works that way. And I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, this thing does work. And I think God built my faith for this sermon. Because had it not rained, I don't know where I'd been home trying to teach this thing. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I'm human. But that thrill may be on measure that we got exactly two inches of rain. And that's why I'm calling out these different people. Folks, there's a time that we need to prosper, and we need to prosper this morning. There's no need to go walk through this earth second class. If you've got sickness, tell it to be gone in the name of Jesus. But if you watch people, and this is what's bugged me. I, like I say, I got the, the end going, get rid of that stuff. I got rid of it most of it. But most people say, you know, I have heart trouble. What are you saying? I have ownership of heart trouble. Oh, I, I, I have diabetes. I own diabetes. I have terrible cold. Yeah. Oh, I have a beautiful car, too. See? All the way through, we're calling ownership, folks. Recognize what devil has done to us. Now, you don't go around nose running off and you say, well, I don't have a cold. Nah. God, I think you're nutty. Don't go out to see my friend out here in, in Isabel. Yeah, I'm trying to think what's the name of your clinic. Okay, a little louder. We'll get a commercial. Columbia One Source. Yeah, I know his, his name of something, and I couldn't think of what it was. Columbia One Source. Don't go in there and say. She said, "Oh, you got a cold." Don't say, "Uh, uh-uh, I don't have a cold." You know. Okay. Just say, I'm fighting the cold. That's what you're doing. You're fighting that thing. Don't say on it. That's where we get off track. She's going to charge you 45 bucks for that cold, and you soon fight it. Don't fight her for giving you the bill. If you'd fought it, you wouldn't have gone in there. But the point is, we have been guilty of not doing this. We have asked God to do something. God's saying it's your time. As I said, we're like Christians carrying around a gun. Most of us got down like this. And, you know, we got a gun all loaded. I mean, it's got six shots in it, and we go around with a gun down like this. And God says, pull the trigger. And, uh-uh. Mm-mm. You know, not about to. We're like a little child. You know, Daddy, you shoot that thing. You know, you do it, Daddy. We're doing God the same way. You cast out that demon, God. You know, 21 years ago, and I was, after I was working on this sermon, I got to think about it. Bert here, he and I worked almost every day casting out demons. And it was very interesting. We got pretty good at it then. Uh, we could, uh, the Lord would give me the sermon of the name of this demon, and boy, some of them were wild ones. And he and I would together would cast them out. Now, I'll never forget this one lady. She came in there, and she said, you know, everybody at age 45, if I remember right, has died in my family. You know, and she said, I'm 45 today. And I thought, oh, dear, you know. <laughs> so we said, well, sit down. <laughs> oh, great man of faith. I'm kind of telling. This is 21 years ago. I've come a little ways. She sat down. Bert had a voice like Pedro. She said, you foul spirit of death, go. I said, you spirit of death, you go. You know, I had a more milder voice. Instead of that spirit going, she keeled over. And she turned gray. And all I could think of was, what are we going to tell the police we're doing here? I'd hold my knees because it's shaking so bad. I'm seriously, learn thing about that. And then I got thinking, if the name of Jesus would move it that bad, the name of Jesus ought to get her healed. And so we started commanding. In about five minutes, she came back somewhere. I don't know if she'd gone or not. I didn't go over and check the pulse because she looked so dead that I didn't need to. <laughs> and she's living today. She's the only person in her family that has lived, lived past age 45. But like I say, I've come a long ways. One night we commanded the spirit to come out of this old man. And he wasn't any kind of strength at all. That man started growling. This is kind of wild. You know, I lose people on, this, on these stories, but this has happened. 
We had about 12 foot pew that he was sitting in. There was a heavy set man on one side of him and one on the other. And that man, like it, and lifted both those men up. <laughs> Lord, you take care of that demon. Lord, I don't want to mess with that old boy. That's what I wanted to say. You know, interesting, God never allowed me to do that. He always said, you pull a trigger, Jack. But once I started pulling a trigger and got kind of halfway used to it, it's not a problem anymore, most of the time. I'll have to paraphrase sometime. You, you know, but once we see the will of God, and once we know his will for us to have a good life, then we can get bold, folks. And this is where our trouble is as Christians. We're not bold because we don't know the will of God in the fact that we are not commanding it. We've got to start commanding. Most Christians make another mistake. They close their eyes when they get ready to cast out a demon. <laughs> and if that thing slaps them, they never know it because they had their eyes closed. See? I want to ask you, how many of y'all have ever shot a shotgun for the first time? And it did exactly what I thought. It just rolled me around, too. My dad got so tickled over it, he liked it, fell out. Wasn't a bit funny. But I was scared silly to pull that trigger. The same thing with us many times. We, we close our eyes. We need to have them open. We need to look and see what's happening. One of the most comical deliverances I've ever been in my entire life. This lady had the sweetest disposition I've ever met. Just like Ann, small, petite. She was in this lazy boy chair, all laid back. And we'd been praying for 20 minutes for his spirit to leave her. And she had a lot of problems in her life. And so I got the revelation knowledge from God that her husband needed to go over there and, and lay his hand on her. I did have my eyes open because I'm telling you a story. He stood in front of her chair and he reached over like this and he closed his eyes and he laid a hand on her. Next thing I knew, that woman started screaming. You've never heard anybody scream like she did. She come up out of that chair and she knocked him over and she was sitting on top of him screaming like a panther. <laughs> Lord, you do something. I'm going to pray a while. You know, I didn't want to cast that demon out because I thought if it knocked him down like that, she'd be all over top of me too. The Lord said, command that spirit to be gone. And he called her name that spirit and left her. And that woman set free today. It works, folks. In the name of Jesus, demons have to flee. And when you're sitting in Luby's cafeteria in clean Texas and that guy comes in there with a shot, uh, gun, folks, there's no time to pray. And I'm not an alarmist, but I'm going to tell you something. You're going to see a lot of that stuff coming in the days to come because the Bible says there'll be perilous times. And you're hearing it constantly on the, on the radio, on television, and stuff like these. People are getting nutty because these demons are rolling, folks. And the Bible says in the last days there'll be special demonic forces poured out for this very time. We're fighting spirits we've never seen before, and it's rolling. Five and six and seven-year-old kids are killing people now. We've never had that before. That's not even normal. We're going to have to take authority. Now, I want to tell you something. Most Christians will mark us off today. They, they want to go back to where it's comfortable. But Jesus said, are you going to be my brother, my sister, my mother, and act on my word? Scripturally, it's exactly what I've been telling you. And by experience, exactly. Other people sitting in this auditorium have been with me when we carried people through deliverance. And we've seen things that are wild. But I want to tell you something. Most people got set free. We're living in a wild world. One of the problems we have with our youth, they have never seen deliverance. They've never seen the power of God moving. So when someone comes up to them and says, hey, you want to see something exciting? They say, yeah. You want to see a barn burned down? You want to see a house destroyed? Yeah. Come Drink this stuff with us and this everything and corruption that a satanic worship can concoct in their mind, but they drink that stuff and they do see a power, but it's not near the power that we have and we haven't been using it. There's a young man who came here and I never will forget, he stood about where that overhead projector was and I said, what bothers Satan more than anybody or than any other thing? And he says, it takes 30 seconds for a Christian to break a hex. It's taken us 30 days to put on someone. 
He said, I've seen people sacrificed. I've seen, we drank blood, feces, urine, and everything else to get a hex put on a Christian, and they can break it in 30 seconds if they know to do it. That thrilled me. Praise God. I don't want to find out that it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. It works every time. One of the young men he told about, he said, I got mad at the professor. I think it's him. Correct me on that page, Justin. But anyway, he said, the professor, may every bone in your body be broken. One week later, that professor was totally dead, but he had been in a car wreck, and he was so mangled, they picked him up in a bag. Folks, we're not dealing with normal people today. We're dealing with weirdos. We're dealing with people that have a power, and it's not God's power that they're putting against us, and we need to use God's power. We're going to lose a battle if we carry a gun around here and, and, set, and say, well, I got a big gun, and I'm going to shoot you. Have you ever seen little kids they whip you? No, they're not going to do that. They're never going to do anything. That's the way we've been as Christians. I want to tell you another example. The Lord remind me of it. It was down here at J. Strack Crusade. You all remember when the Baptist and all of us put together a crusade down here in April of last year? Calls him one of the finest things we've ever had come around with him. He's coming back next year, and we want to get behind him. But he called about eight to 12 of us pastors back here in the back room, and he said, I want to pray for the service. I want to tell you, that old boy can pray down in heaven. He prayed and prayed in about five minutes. Boy, it's lovely. Oh, it's wonderful. I loved it. And he, I had my eyes shut that time. He stood up, because when I looked up, he was standing up. He stood up and he started commanding every spirit I've ever heard of to be gone out of that Coliseum. He said, you foul spirits, you leave this country. You're not going to keep a person from coming in this Coliseum. And man, he started telling Satan the bill of rights. And I thought, whoo, you know, like that. And I looked around the other pastors, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but their eyes about like that. <laughs> It took them 20 minutes to get them out of that room. They had never been so shocked in their entire life. He walked out there, Jay Strike walked out there on the platform and sat down just like a teddy bear. And he said, the battle's all over, boys. Let's bring in the harvest. That spoke to me. And I had forgotten all about that thing. It was amazing what that guy did. And the audience did pour out. I know how hard it is when people in Brownwood, and they'd come out of the audience, young people came in there, and they started asking Jesus in their heart, and they changed their lives. Today is a time of battle, folks. We're not in this world. It's not fun and games with Satan. He's not playing fair. He, we can't conceive of an evil spirit that's so evil that he enjoys seeing someone die horribly of cancer. We can't conceive of that. Some enjoying and laughing at someone being mutilated and by a knife or something like it. We can't understand that. But he's not playing for fun and games. That guy is very serious trying to kill you because you might accidentally invite someone to know Jesus while you're on this earth. If he can get you into heaven, he's got him made because there's one less potential Christian out here on the streets. We got a gun and we might learn to shoot that thing. So he wants us off this earth. That's his whole purpose and plan. So are we going to walk around today with a loaded gun, prayed up, you know, like that? Or are we going to sit there and shoot that thing? We're going to have to shoot it. And we're going to have to get at the enemy. And it's the way you do it is saying in the name of Jesus, always use the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and it works. You can have your needs met. You can get rid of the spirit out of your home. I'm going to close it with one story. Paige Joyce, a number of years ago, she said, Honey, she said, there is a spirit of uh, heaviness over a home. We'd been carrying some people through deliverance, and we'd forgot to clean out our home after we'd done it. And she called me at work, and I said, no, I'll come home tonight. And she said, let's just make plans to clean out our home tonight. And I said, okay. Well, what she didn't know, I had to go home and pick up some clothing or something. I had changed for a meeting, so I thought, I got 10 minutes, I'm going to clean this house. You don't have to go a long time. It takes two or three minutes if you mean it. You can walk through that house, and I walked through that house, and I said, every spirit of heaviness, you leave in the name of Jesus. And I told, take a door, open this point of contact, open the door. He doesn't have to go through a door, but open the door, and I said, you go out to this house in the name of Jesus. That's the way I do my old dog. My old dog come in there, and you get, boy. 
same way with the spirit. Get, you know, in the name of Jesus, you go. I cleaned out the house, went back to work. Pedro just called me at work. And after I got back from my meeting, she said, honey, I don't know what happened. I guess I missed it because she says, there's not any spirit of heaviness on her home anymore. She didn't know I was there. So what I'm telling you is, folks, there's something that happens in the spiritual realm. And wives, you can clean it up uh, off your husbands. You don't have to be a general to do it. Jesus is the one doing it inside you. And so when he's down, he's been beaten, and, and the boss has told him he's a dumb nut, and he's about to begin to believe it, rebuke it. And you'll see, a, you'll see something working in your life. And once you see the power of God working, it gets better and better and better. Faith builds. God's stuff builds. Satan's always diminishing results. But the more you use faith, the better it gets, like I told you in the last sermon. Once you learn to use God's word in faith, that's not the last gift that you're going to get from God. There's other gifts. Well, it's saying, ooh, heaven emptied on this. And, no, he didn't. You just learned to get, get it receiving. We're going to learn here at the church. We're going to learn how to beat the enemy. The choice is yours this morning. As you stand on your feet, Father, we thank you that boldness will rise up in each and every one of us. And as the, Father, I, I ask the prayer group leaders to come down here, and, and if there's someone here, uh, I want you to line up with us. We're going to pray with you, and, and we don't have to get in a loud voice, and we're not going to embarrass you. But if you have some illness or something that's harassing you, then come down. Father, we thank that you're going to set every person free. It's your will, it, not a person to walk out of here without all their needs being met. You come to give us life and life abundantly. And so, Father, we thank that the people will be released. We've already prayed that they'd be released to hear your word this morning. And it will not return void, and it will accomplish all I set out to. And so, Father, I think that boldness rises up in each and every person here in this uh, audience this morning, that they'll understand your power, they'll understand your gift to us, that you gave us Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that, that same authority that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And so, Father, we thank you for that gift. And so, Lord, we rejoice in what you're going to be doing. In Christ's name we pray, amen.